Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest in Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Tony from Good Morning America. And together, we're taking you Inside Disney. Hello, beautiful people. Back on Zoom where we belong. <laughs> like we never left. Oh, but it was so much fun getting to hang out with you guys last week at Walt Disney World Resort for the continuation of the 50th. Yes, it was so much fun. If you are listening right now and you're like, I have no idea what they are talking about, go to d23.com, d23 social, check out d23 Inside Disney Lunches, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind at Walt Disney World, aka D. 23-I-D-L-G-O-T-G-C-R-A-W-D-W for short. Well, I thought High School Musical, <laughs> the musical, the series had a long acronym. We really <laughs> been working on this for a while, you guys. Yes, <laughs> but check it out. It's our video episode. We go inside Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind and all kinds of Walt Disney World 50th celebrations. Yes, that includes food. Yes. All right, so <laughs> what were your favorite parts of our trip whether or not we caught them on camera (laughs) I mean the attraction itself Cosmic Rewind is so spectacular unlike anything I've ever ridden before I am ready to go to hop right back on it hop on a plane hop back on it it was so thrilling incredible storytelling the queue the attraction everything so great yeah sherry our good friend carly wiesel i I think is on team sherry she told me she's going through withdrawal from the attraction she needs to go on (laughs) it again asap so yeah so i think that was felt by many tony did you have a favorite you know cosmic rewind aside i really love talking to scott who's one of the executive creative directors Mm -hmm. for epcot like there's you know, I, I grew up in Walt Disney World in Orlando, and I've seen so many iterations of Epcot, or as we are sharing the constant becoming of Epcot, and it's so wild to see what they come up with every time they bring new attractions and spaces and just things to enjoy in the park. It's really, really neat. And to see it on paper come to life, knowing it's going to come to life very soon is mm-hmm. really, really exciting. Agree. How about you, Jeffrey? Well, other than just being with the two of you, as well as our fabulous producer, Bruce, and our incredible video producers, Jeremy and John, who get a huge shout out because the show looks so good, really slick and fun, and it really captures a lot of the joy. The General So's Chicken Salad at Connections Eatery. I can't believe that that's my like, that feels like a Sherry favorite moment, but I loved it. And also (laughs) there was a moment that we did not film, but there was an event that was held during the media event where they had a whole bunch of characters and I got to hug Chip and Dale, who are two of my very favorite characters. I know they're close (laughs) to your heart, Sherry. It's true. And it was like such like delight they are so cute and carly and i danced with them it was very fun anyway that was you know a a moment of just pure happiness so i'm giggling over here because jeffrey i was with jerry in that moment from across the room we were in and we look over and you're literally dancing around with chip and dale (laughs) and soothing joy looking for you and that's where you were it was such a perfect (laughs) i did post it on the tweeter if uh, anyone wants (laughs) 
to see me getting down with Chippendale. Well, and also I know at Walt Disney World, you guys got to enjoy seeing the amazing Cirque du Soleil show Drawn to Life. Drawn to Life was spectacular. What a show. Done in partnership with our friends at Walt Disney Animation Studios and Walt Disney Imagineering. Such a great show. And we had Eric Goldberg on the show a few months ago talking about creating the animation for that show. And today we have another one of the animators who worked on Drawn to Life, Mark Henn legendary animator. He is a part of the new Disney Plus series Sketchbook. So we're going to talk to him about creating young Simba for that, animating some of Disney's most beloved princesses, and of course, creating the Mickey 90th birthday portrait. So stay tuned for that. But you know, there's other Disney stuff too. And I had the chance over the weekend, I watched Crush on Hulu, which is an adorable teen rom-com with a whole battery of fabulous Disney folk. The cast is led by Rowan Blanchard, who we love from Girl Meets World, the fabulous Ali Cravayo, who we know is Moana, and Isabella Ferreira from La Victor are the three leads. They are wonderful. It is charming. You, you should definitely check it out on Hulu if you are able to. Tony, what about you? Well, you know, right off the heels of our time at Walt Disney World, I was able to make it back in time in New York for New York Glad Awards, and I got to run into our pals from High School Musical, the musical of the series, Joe Serafini and Frankie Rodriguez. Yay. It was so good to give them hugs as well. And it was a really great night to celebrate a lot of our colleagues from across Disney and ABC. And it's so fun we can do these mm -hmm. things again, mm -hmm. you know? And speaking of things we could do again, we can get into the news because Sherry and I, on the last night we were there uh, at Walt Disney World, we got to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse <laughs> of Madness. Yes. And shout out to Chris Ostrander and all of our pals at Disney Synergy who helped make that come to life. I was shook. I was, there was a lot. <laughs> it was intense. I, I got to jump in here and say, for those of you out there who have not had the pleasure of sitting next to Jeffrey, watching a Marvel movie. Oh my gosh. I knew exactly how Jeffrey was feeling <laughs> the entire time. There were gasps, there were laughs. I could feel when his adrenaline was pumping. I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. <laughs> it was an experience that I will never forget made the movie so much better and I thought I was like totally quiet through the whole movie so that's what's even <laughs> uh, but speaking of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness huge congratulations to our friends at the studios and Marvel Studios it took in 450 million dollars at the worldwide box office which is the highest global opening of the year to date Amazing. Congratulations. Wow. It is now the 11th highest domestic opening in history, which Ooh. is chock full of Disney releases. So congratulations to our friends there and uh, stay tuned for next week. We may have a very special guest to uh, talk about that show. Ooh, what a tease. Well, speaking of teaser trailers, right before we saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We got to see the teaser trailer for Avatar The Way of Water. You guys, whew, it looks epic. It looks so good. Okay. Check it out on the Avatar YouTube if you have not seen it yet. It's set more than a decade after the events of the first film. So we get to see the story of the Sully family, the battles they fight to stay alive, and the lengths they go to keep each other safe. James Cameron is back to direct. 
and stars are returning like Zoe Saldana, Sam Worthington, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang, Joel David Moore, and there are going to be some new cast members like, oh, I'm so excited, Jermaine Clement, I love him, and Kate Winslet, love her. You guys, Avatar is back. And it will literally be back in theaters. Avatar (laughs) will be re-released in theaters September 23rd. And the sequel to the highest grossing film of all time will be in theaters December 16th. Christmas is here. So much to look forward to, Sherry. So exciting. Next up, the Disney's Summer Magic Quest special is coming to Disney Channel. Hooray! It's the third installment of Disney's popular Magic Quest specials, and it's set to debut with the stars of Zombies 3, playfully battling it out in a series of exciting new challenges through a variety of iconic Epcot attractions after dark. Mm. Our BFF, Yvette Nicole Brown, who also hosted Disney's Holiday Magic Quest, will return for hosting duties for this Mm. one. And that's not all. A donation to the Special Olympics will be made in the honor of the winning team. So a lot of great fun packed in here. Disney's Summer Magic Quest premieres Sunday, June 26th at 7 p.m. on Disney Channel and will stream on Disney Plus later this year. A lot of fun there, you guys. Also coming to Disney Channel, Bunked, all you Bunked fans out there, will return next month with an expanded season. The long-running hit comedy series will return for its sixth season on Friday, June 10th at 7.30 Eastern on Disney Channel and Disney Now with five additional episodes, bringing the total to 30 episodes for the new season. How fun! Wow, well, I've got some piping hot news fresh out of the oven. Disney is developing a new animated series based on the novel Cookies and Milk. So if you haven't heard of it, Cookies and Milk, it's inspired by the childhood of the book's author, Sean Amos, who is a blues musician and the son of icon Wally Amos Jr., a.k.a. founder of the famous Amos Chocolate Chip Cookies. Yes. So the series follows the adventures of a harmonica playing middle schooler as he begrudgingly helps his wildly optimistic and quite possibly magical father open the world's first cookie shop in the 70s right here in Hollywood. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Sounds like a feast for the eyes. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) Another feast for the senses. We've talked about it before. Percy Jackson and the Olympians coming to Disney Plus as an original series. They'd already announced Walker Scobell, who is going to be playing the title character. They just announced they've cast his two best friends, Ariane Simhadri and Leah Sava Jeffries are going to be co-starring. Ariane will be Grover Underwood, who's a satyr half boy, half goat. I mean, many of my friends are, who is disguised (laughs) as a 12-year-old boy. Ariane is going to be playing Annabeth Chase, who is a true daughter of the Greek goddess Athena. Cannot wait for this series. It sounds like it's going to be amazing very cool wow disney plus just dropped a trailer and poster for the upcoming original film rise we've talked about this on the pod before it's based on the first trio of brothers to become nba champions in the history of the league we've got Giannis, we've got thanasis we've got costas antetokounmpo They're from the Milwaukee Bucks, from the Lakers, and their younger brother, Alex. The film is debuting exclusively on Disney Plus June 24th, and you can check the trailer out now on the Walt Disney Studios YouTube. Fun. Mm -hmm. 
is something I'm looking forward to because I'm thinking Dylan will still be into this. Dylan may be a little old by the time it comes out, but I'm still going to watch it with her, which is The Pocket Watch, which is a new movie musical that is going to be taking place in the world of the Descendants franchise. So it'll be introducing new uh, teenage sons and daughters of some other Disney iconic villains. There's going to be seven new songs and classic Disney songs to help move that story along. We're going to get to meet Red, the whip-smart, rebellious teenage daughter of the Queen of Hearts, and Chloe, the perfectionist, athletic daughter of Cinderella and Prince Charming. They have to join forces to travel back in time using the White Rabbit's pocket watch to stop an event that could lead to grave consequences. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> well, I've got some really awesome news over at Disneyland. American icon, abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass is now being honored at Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which pays tribute to inspirational American heroes. And it took leaders like Frederick Douglass to help guide Abraham Lincoln toward ending slavery. So the installation adds a bust and portrait of Frederick Douglass near the existing bust and portrait of Abraham Lincoln. You can see it in the lobby of the Opera House. And there is a framed copy of a U.S. Department of the Interior letter recognizing Frederick Douglass as a free man. So really awesome to see that there. That's really cool. Cannot wait for my next trip to Disneyland to see that. Yes. (laughs) Something that I was remiss in not mentioning last week, which is kind of cuckoo because I actually put out this press release, but (laughs) last week, D23 announced that the new issue of Disney 23 magazine is starring the Disney Wish. The latest ship in the Disney Cruise Line fleet graces the cover. It is an exclusive cover for D23 and for Disney 23. And I'm sure it will come as a complete shock to absolutely no one that I wrote the cover story. But hey, you know, we, we got to get ready in case we're able to do a Disney Wish uh, at Sea episode, people. I'm just, I'm just, you know, doing what I can. There are also so many exclusive interviews. Our friends at Studios and Disney Plus really turned it up. We've got Ewan McGregor exclusively talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. There is a lot of celebrity scoop, a lot of incredible movie and streaming info. So if you're not already a D23 Gold member, you can get all the information on how to become one over at D23. You can read more about D23 at D23.com. There's there's so much at D23.com. And of course, it's fabulous to be a Gold member. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Gold members, assemble. <laughs> Some exciting news for Star Wars fans. Our pal, Ashley Eckstein, is hosting a new Star Wars series. Yay! yay. So to commemorate May the 4th, Lucasfilm launched Star Wars Mindful Matters in collaboration with Ashley, where she leads one Star Wars-inspired mindful exercise teaching viewers that it only takes a moment to make a powerful difference in one's day. All the Mindful Matters are also powered by resources provided by the behavioral health experts at Nationwide Children's Hospital. I have a feeling it's going to be for more than just kids. Mm. Yeah, Uh, We can stream the first two episodes of Star Wars Mindful Matters right now at StarWarsKids.com. Ashley, obviously, she's a great friend of the pod, but she's, you know, she does these mental health Mondays on her socials and they're great. It's just, you know, she's someone who really talks about that very honestly. And she she talked with us about it on the Mm -hmm. show. It's so important, I think, especially given the the past few years that we've had. Kudos to Ashley and, and to the Star Wars team for pulling that together. 
Love that. And staying in the Star Wars galaxy for a minute, a new products program will follow in the steps of Mando Mondays, mm-hmm. if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucasfilm has announced Obi-Wan Wednesdays, mm-hmm. y'all. A new weekly program featuring reveals of toys, apparel, action figures, accessories, books, comics, and more. Obi-Wan Wednesdays kicks off May 25th through June 29th. Oh. So much. So much. And wait. Do you hear that? Do you hear I that do. beautiful sound? What could it be? You know what that means. It's time for five fantastic things to watch this weekend, presented by our friends at State Farm. For complete details and listings, you can visit d23.com. And remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jeffrey, what's up first? Well, Jeffrey, we have. Underwater, making its network premiere on FX on Saturday, May 14th. Now it is TVMA, so just be aware of that. It is starring the fantastic Kristen Stewart, and it's about what happens when water crashes through the walls of a drilling station, and there are mysterious and deadly creatures that no one has ever Mm. seen. Speaking of mysterious, though not very deadly creatures, the series finale of Amphibia is this Saturday, May 14th at 8 p.m. on Disney Channel. Anne's journey finally comes to an end. And to hear a little bit more about Amphibia, you can listen to our fantastic interview with guest voice on the show, the wonderful Jason Ritter, who we had on just a few weeks ago. Ah. What a guy. Mm-hmm. Well, just keep swimming on Saturday, May 14th, because the wonderful world oh. of Disney Finding Dory is airing at 8 p.m. on ABC. I mean, where do I even begin? I love this. I love this movie so much. You love it. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Something else to check out. Also TVMA. Sorry, it's, it's a little bit more of a mature Five Fantastic Things this week, but We like to make sure that you're aware of some of these great shows, including Conversations with Friends, a new series based on Sally Rooney's novel, coming to Hulu May 15th. Oh, my birthday. There you go. Fun fact. (laughs) For those of you who haven't read the novel, it follows Francis, a 21-year-old college student who's navigating a series of relationships, including an affair, that force her to confront her own vulnerabilities. I mean, sounds like it's my biography. And last but not least this weekend, everybody, oh, my favorite, you can watch The Emperor's New Grove Sunday, May 15th at 5 o'clock Eastern on Disney Channel. Pull the lever. (laughs) (laughs) On to our guest. Today we have with us a legendary animator who began his Disney career in 1980 working on The Fox and the Hound. Since then, he's animated some of Disney's most beloved characters, including Ariel, Belle, Tiana, Jasmine, and Mulan, as well as our big boss, Mickey Mouse. He's contributed animation to the Cirque du Soleil show, Drawn to Life, as well as last year's hilarious Disney Presents Goofy and How to Stay at Home episode, Binge Watching. He also animated Young Simba, a character he draws as part of the new Disney Plus series, Sketchbook, and we are thrilled to have him with us here today. Please welcome to the show, Mark Hen. Hooray! Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. It is such an honor speaking with you. Tell us about being involved with Sketchbook. Well, it was a real, real treat to be asked to be a part of this. There's six episodes and six different artists are highlighted. And to be asked to be a part of that or this first group, I'm sure they will do more of these. 
was a real honor. And it kind of came out of the blue. I, you know, we didn't know that this was being in development, but they called one day and asked if I'd be interested. And I said, sure, absolutely. I'd love to do it. So Mark, you've animated so many characters. Why was young Simba the best fit for the show? Because that's what they want. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I've done a lot of drawing demos and it usually falls into one or two characters. It's either uh, Ariel. I've done a lot of drawings of Mermaid as well as Simba. And so I initially said, well, do you want me to do Ariel? And they said, no, actually, how about Simba? And I said, that'd be fine. Simba would be great. So it was just that simple. Kind <laughs> 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 of take your pick. Well, sometimes simple is the best. One of the things that I loved watching your episode were the stories you tell. And for those who have not yet watched the sketchbook series, you first of all, absolutely should. But along with showing how to draw some of these beloved characters, you hear great stories about the animators who have drawn them and are drawing them for you on the show. Mark, one of the stories that I loved that you told was about originally wanting to animate Scar in The Lion King and, and then getting assigned Simba and of course being very happy with young Simba. But why Scar? How did that happen? Well, just as an actor, artist, you know, you're always looking for something, a new challenge. And I, up to that point in my career, was usually cast most of the time they kind of fall into the leading character category the hero or the heroine i was just looking for something different and i you know when i first was introduced to the project i just thought this might be a great opportunity to try something different tackle a villain i've you know i had animated a few scenes of some of our villains but i was never cast as the lead animator on a villain so i thought this would be a nice chance to kind of break out of my box, break out of my comfort zone and do something different. And uh, that's why I initially, you know, approached the producer and said, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, I'm kind of interested in, you know, possibly, you know, animating Scar. What do you think? Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, in Sketchbook, you also talk about a moment in the film, which I hadn't noticed. I, I've seen The Lion King, I don't know, one million times. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't noticed this before, but you pointed out that when Simba finds Mufasa dead and tried to revive him and how it harkens back to an earlier moment in the film where Simba wakes up Mufasa to go out into the Pride Lands. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that connection and how that came to be? It starts in the story, of course, as the story is developed. And I just knew that that was a, a piece of business that would have been kind of instinctual for Simba to do that because he initially, you know, he's confused and he's thinking maybe his dad's just asleep. Mm -hmm. So how does he wake his dad up? Which we've seen earlier in the show, he comes into the cave and he starts jumping on him and he grabs his ear and he pulls and he tugs and, you know, come on, dad, 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 you know, that whole thing. So as I was approaching the sequence after the uh, wildebeest stampede, you know, Simba's, you know, he's not sure what's going on. And at this point, you know, he's never dealt with death head on. And so his kind of instincts is, you know, there's an element of denial that maybe, maybe dad's just asleep. The idea of him jumping on him, grabbing his ear and tugging him like he did in the beginning of the movie to wake him up was the thought I had to kind of, you know, as a piece of business that, you know, he instinctually wanted to do 
but you know, it was in vain to attempt that because he had uh, Mufasa was was dead. You know, it was just part of his processing this whole event that he eventually, you know, Scar, you know, throws the guilt on him, and you know, it's like, yeah, that's too bad. You know, you you caused this to happen. You know, and he's just like, ah. <laughs> so, but that was just looking for a piece of business that I think was a, a sincere effort on Simba's part that was again instinctual you know just part of that process as he's dealing with the sequence of Mufasa's death so powerful Sherry I totally agree and I feel like the fact that it's established so early and in subconsciously it makes it even more impactful because Mm -hmm. like you said Sherry like it was something I'd never noticed before and I think that just shows the power of the animation and how incredible Disney storytelling is so kudos to you Mark and the team I do love also another story you told, lots of good stories in Sketchbook, about the first Disney movie you saw that captured your imagination to become an animator. And it's one directly related to the studio lot, which I love because I pass the Mickey Ave Dopey Drive sign every day. Can you share that story and talk a little bit about seeing that movie? Talking about Cinderella. I know, Reluctant Dragon is the one that you talked about. Oh, you're talking about the Reluctant Dragon. Well, Cinderella, they're kind of connected. Cinderella was probably the first feature film that I saw in a theater when I was a small boy. But the film you're talking about, The Reluctant Dragon, I actually saw, I was on a weekend camp event and they ran that movie, you know, 16 millimeter print of that film as part of our weekend entertainment. And so The Reluctant Dragon in its original form, of course, is a feature film that was largely another effort that Walt put together to answer people's questions about how animation is done. And the Burbank studio had just opened. It was maybe, I don't even know if it was a year old yet, but they had just recently moved to the Burbank facility. So I'm sure he was, you know, proud of that and was, you know, probably, you know, showing off a little bit of the new studio as well. But it's the story, it follows Robert Benchley, who's a comedian actor, encouraged by his wife, she drops him off at the front gate with a children's book called The Reluctant Dragon. And he says, I'm going to have a meeting with Walt Disney, you know, see if he's interested in making this movie. Well, anyway, through the course of his visit, Robert Benchley kind of goes in and out of various departments around the studio, sound effects, voice recording, ink and paint. But the sequence that stuck in my mind was he was assigned this uh, studio page who was supposed to give him the tour. Well, this page is kind of a rather annoying character. And so Robert Benchley spends most of the time trying to avoid him and hide from him. And so on one of his attempts to get away from him, he ducks into an animator's office. It's staged. It's not a real animator office. But there's Ward Kimball, Norm Ferguson, and uh, Freddie Moore, some of the studio's top artists at the time, animators. Anyway, he ends up talking to Ward Kimball, who's at his desk drawing and he says you mind if I look over your shoulder and what are you working on and he's working on a scene of Goofy and he's finishing a drawing of Goofy and he's asking him some questions and you know how big is his shoes and how why do you only do three fingers and all this kind of stuff anyway Ward finishes the drawing of Goofy takes this one drawing one piece of paper puts it on a stack of papers and he says to Robert Benchley do you want to see it move now and he goes yeah sure so he picks it up and it's what we call flipping where you actually hold the stack of drawings and you can flip it and the animation 
the character came to life. The drawings started mm. moving and it just came to life. And it just, for me as a small boy who loved to draw, loved Disney, it was just pure magic. I was hooked. That was as a result of the Reluctant Dragon film that just stuck with me. Wow. Ah, I love that. That is true magic right before your very eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, you also animated Mickey for Mickey's Christmas Carol. What was it like being relatively new to the company and animating ostensibly one of the most iconic characters of all time? <laughs> it's, it's what they call throwing you in the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real honor. And I was, thankfully, I was young and naive enough to not overthink it. It was a great opportunity. I think the project Bernie Manson brought to the studio was a perfect vehicle for Mickey, even though really it's more Scrooge story, obviously. But Mickey plays an important part as Bob Cratchit. And that, I think that was perfect casting for him. And so again, it was it was the first you know short to feature Mickey that hadn't been done since uh, 1953 at the time. So it'd been 30 years. Mm. Mickey hadn't really been in a you know significant project wow i mean i was tickled i was a you know fresh off the pasture kind of animator i had just gotten my promotion based on a mickey test that i had done i had done a, a, a personal test and that's what bernie saw and he thought hey maybe you'd be a good fit to, uh, to animate mickey mouse so i just i was like yeah i'd love to you were like, I love to not, did you find the right person? Wait, the horrible mistake has been made. It was, you were you were like, sure, no No, problem. like I said, I was too young and stupid to realize or, or to overthink it. I just, I, it was just like, here's an opportunity, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, Bernie, as producer and director, he really uh, created a really fun, inviting climate for the production team to work on it and so as a first animation as a disney animator was mickey mouse and i i've always held that as a very very special event for me wow and then you got to paint his 90th birthday portrait can you talk about what it was like to revisit mickey and also follow in the footsteps of artists like john hench well, that again was also literally just kind of fell in my lap. I was on the lot one afternoon and basically was approached by a manager there at D23 who just literally just said, hey, would you be interested in painting the portrait, the official portrait? And I was just like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'd love that opportunity. And, you know, and I knew right away I'm, I'd seen if not in person, pictures of all the other official portraits. And, you know, I, it's not something that I ever thought I'd ever have that opportunity to do, but it literally just was that casual, you know, conversation on the lot. Uh, it started a, a rather unique journey and, and uh, opportunity to do that. So I'm very pleased to have been asked and to be a part of that alongside people like John Hench, particularly, who did most of the official portraits. It's quite amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful portrait. It was fun when we got to debut it down at Comic-Con. That was a fun moment. Yeah, that was. That was fun. We had Eric Olberg on the show a few months ago to chat about, among other things, Drawn to Life. Such an incredible show. You were a part of it. Can you talk about the character you animated, what it was like being a part of that project, and, and have you seen it yet? I have not seen the final product. I've seen just trailers and teasers, but it was a it was a really fun and a really interesting challenge. I remember sitting in on some of the early meetings with the uh, Cirque crew, 
and listening to their pitch and we, you know, kibitz back and forth, kicking back and forth ideas and, oh, you could do this, you could do that. And that was a lot of fun. I ended up working on, uh, there's a sequence where the little girl, she's surrounded with giant pieces of paper. There's like mm-hmm. five giant pieces of paper and she falls asleep. On those pieces of paper, you see uh, different characters come to life. And, and I ended up animating Mrs. Potts and Chip for that little section. And so that was a lot of fun. The other thing too about that was they really uh, wanted it to look like the rough animation that comes off right off of an animator's desk, not the fine cleanup, you know, slick line or anything. They really wanted it to look like animators roughs. So that was a lot of fun. But then the other part that I animated was bringing the three fairies to life. So I, I got to animate flora, fauna, and Merryweather as they are kind of mm. flying around and they, you know, throw their light onto uh, the little girl. And there's a moment where Merryweather gets a little upset. She has her little, you know, kind of uh, shudder there. And, and that was a lot of fun. And choreographing, you know, all three of them kind of flying around so they didn't collide into each other. It's really neat that the Cirque people, you know, put this idea together as a love letter to Disney animation. And then to be a part of that, bringing, you know, in, in the case of the Three Good Fairies, you know, some iconic characters that I grew up enjoying watching now i got a chance to animate them was a real honor and a joy to do i was lucky enough to see it i mean it is so beautiful and and something that i'd mentioned to eric was it's just amazing how much even though they are these more rough sketches the amount of emotion that they evoke from the audience it's amazing just how incredible it is so (laughs) get over there to orlando and see it I love, and you talk about this also on Sketchbook, I love that you submitted your work multiple times before you got hired at Disney, not because of the stress it probably caused you, but it does show the power of persistence and refining your craft and ultimately prevailing, which I feel like it's a great example for people who dream of being animators and and showing them not to give up. Yeah, it's... shared my story on a lot of different occasions. When I saw how they put my segment together, it was clearly that was, you know, that was kind of their aha moment to hear that. You know, I'm just very extremely thankful and blessed to have had that opportunity. And I, again, I was young and just, you know, kind of, I had my blinders on. That's, that's all I could think about wanting to do. And I, and I honestly, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't become a Disney animator. I could have been a teacher, I suppose. My parents were teachers. I could have maybe been an art teacher. That's just not what I had in mind. And I am so very thankful that good Lord is also on my side on that. And he kind of had plans for me as well. So, you know, here I am. But yeah, it's, you know, when you look back and you over your life and you look at how, you know, things kind of lined up and the puzzle pieces kind of all fell together, I, I don't think I could have could or would have changed anything. It's not, you know, what I had initially thought how things were going to work out. I didn't really know, but that's, you know, now that, you know, when you look back, you know, you say, yeah, I I don't think I could, could change anything really. I sent three portfolios to the studio for three different occasions and was eventually told thanks, but no thanks. You know, some people will say, you know, 
when the door closes, you know, God opens a window for you. So the window for me turned out to be Cal Arts, California Institute of the Arts and the Disney animation program. So that's just the way it went. I tried going through the front door and that didn't work. So I ended up kind of coming in the back door a little bit. So I mean, it's a great example of something Mm -hmm. for aspiring animators to look to. Don't take rejection as a sign that it's not going to happen. Use it as a step. Well, I think that's in some respects, and I haven't seen all the rest of the sketchbook episodes, but I have a strong feeling that that in one form or another, that theme runs through all of them. And I think that's one of the neat things about the series is that you'll see six different journeys that all ended in the same place, but all started in, you know, very different places and how each one you know, eventually ended up here at the uh, halls of Disney animation, I think is going to be a really interesting for the viewers. You've animated Ariel, Belle, Tiana, Mulan, and Jasmine. What do you think you bring to your art that is so special for these incredible Disney heroines? Boy, that's a good question. I've kind of been asked that over the years, and I've tried to think about it myself. I'm going to probably leave most of that to some expert to sit down and <laughs> try to figure me out but I, I I I have two sisters I don't have any brothers I grew up with two sisters and I've often thought that just having two sisters a lot of you know my closest friends have been ladies I don't know I, I just maybe have some kind of an affinity a kindred spirit in some respects with ladies that Again, like I said, I go back to the fact that I, I grew up with two sisters. So they were my companions, my playmates, my you know confidants growing up. Wow. Well, as, as someone who grew up with two brothers and cannot draw or animate, I think there's a lot more to it with, with your natural <laughs> gifts. <laughs> well, art side, of, uh, you know, aside, the fact that just in terms of, you know, creating interesting, strong characters that I think are audiences identify with you know the first one that we did Disney did was Snow White of course just kind of built on her legacy as a leading lady and like I said Cinderella was very influential to me and Mm -hmm. so when I was animating Ariel Eric Larson was my mentor who animated Cinderella and I got to you know know him and I always had him in the back of my mind you know hoping that you know what I was hoping to get on the screen with Ariel would be as impactful and memorable for, you know, our audiences as Cinderella was for me. All those things kind of all together, kind of all a part of it. And, and it's still about animation. Being an animator is, is about being an actor and a performer. And the beauty of being an animator is I can be whatever I can draw. Mm-hmm. So I can be a cat or a dog or a mermaid or a mouse or a girl or a boy. I mean, it doesn't really matter. That's part of the the magic of being a Disney animator. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's hard to pick, but of those heroines, so Ariel, Belle, Tiana, Mulan, Jasmine, who <laughs> was your favorite to animate? Oh, you had to ask the hard question. <laughs> you know, I always steal an answer from Frank Thomas because he always said, it's like trying to pick your favorite child. You know, they're all unique. Uh, you spend you know, literally a year or more of your life working on these characters and they do become like family. You know, you're kind of sad when the movie's over and you you kind of, it's like sending your kid to college, you know, you kind of 
pat them on the head and send them off and hope that, you know, the big bad world doesn't gobble them up or, you know, certainly, you know, appreciates them. You know, each one was, was unique. Each one I dearly love because you, you have to love these characters in order to really do a good job. Mm-hmm. But I do have an answer and it may, you know, might upset some people. I don't know. But at an infinitesimal slight edge, <laughs> I go to Mulan. Mm. Great Lovely. choice. And, and I said, it's, it's infinitesimal, but if I had to pick a leader, her story was something I really fell in love with as a character and as a story. I really could identify uh, with that, the emotion. And I ended up, was asked to not only animate Mulan, but I was also asked by the directors to animate her father as well, mm. Fazu, because it was that relationship which was the heart and soul of that picture. Mm-hmm. That was the tension. And so they asked me to do both characters. I was at the Florida studio at the time and that we had seen our that studio grow to where they felt comfortable enough to give us our first feature film. So the fact that Mulan was our first feature film done in Florida with a little bit of help here in Burbank also gives it just a slight edge. It's really hard, but those couple of little elements kind of give Mulan a slight edge. But like I said, Ariel was fabulous. I loved her. Belle was great. I loved her. Jasmine, I loved her. I mean, I it's infinitesimally slight. <laughs> yeah, it is imagine. all good. It is all good. <laughs> that is a rock star lineup. I can't imagine picking one. Yeah, I also got to help out during production on Mulan when it was still in its story development. They uh, asked me to come on and help with Pocahontas as well. So I, you know, I also had Pocahontas, uh, which was a lot of fun. She was a lot of fun. And I love American history. So that was a really interesting uh, film as well. Wow. That's my answer. And I, you know, I may make some people happy. I may make some people sad. Tiana, I love. She is still very much a big part of my life. There's a lot of things going on involving her, and, and I was very proud to have you know, brought her to the screen as well. So I'm proud of all of them. As you should be. If you're going to pin me down, <laughs> yeah, Mulan way by a nose. <laughs> Perfect. By a creaky. By a creaky, yeah. A creaky <laughs> nose, yeah. Very small. <laughs> Mushu whisker or whatever. (laughs) Well, Mark, we have so loved spending some time with you. We do end every episode, every interview with guests here with the same question. And that is, what has been your favorite Disney memory? Oh, man. I'm not quite sure how, how to answer that. I remember, I mean... The first time I went to Walt Disney World, because I grew up on the Midwest. So Walt Disney World was my Disneyland. I didn't get to Disneyland until I came to California years later. And maybe, I don't know if this is answers it quite right, but working for Disney has allowed me to meet a lot of amazing people. One of the most amazing people I've had the opportunity to meet as a result of being a Disney animator and working for Disney was Princess Diana. Mm. Mm. Wow. And she, if you remember, it was like what, 96 or something like that when she and the boys came to Florida for a vacation. 
They came to Walt Disney World. Their arrangements were made, and she came through with the boys, William and Harry. They toured our animation studio, and we had just, I was either had just finished working on Lion King or was in the process, almost finished with it. But to have a chance to meet her, how she was in my office for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, we chit chatted for a little bit. And it was just as a result of being a part of Disney, that's one of my most magical memories was getting to meet her. You know, she was the kind of person that I felt like you just wanted to say, hey, let's let's just go for a walk and talk. I'd like to get to know you more. She just seemed, it was a very sweet young lady and that was a real treat. And I've also, you know, got to meet uh, former President Carter as a result of that and some other people. We used to get a lot of people coming through the Florida studio. That was uh, something that uh, our boss at the time had kind of an open invitation for people that were coming either to vacation or were part of some celebrity event at the park there at the, uh, what was then called the Disney MGM Park. But having the chance to meet a lot of really interesting people and, and Princess Diana is probably the, uh, the top of that. And the funny thing was too, Roy Disney showed up at the same day. So I had both Roy Disney and Princess Diana in my office and we were standing around talking. Roy's like, oh yeah, Princess, we were just on the same flight back from England and all this. You, see, you, know, <laughs> you were in the nose of the plane and we were in business class or whatever it was, first class. <laughs> wow. I mean, from Disney princesses to a real life princess. To a real That's life pretty princess. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a real life princess. And also, we also got to do, it wasn't, it wasn't the Magic Kingdom, but I was part of a, a, a Disney parade at the uh, Disney, uh, now Hollywood Park, but the Disney MGM Studios at the time. We were, I think it was maybe for Aladdin, we did a parade. So I got to sit in the parade and wave and that's kind of fun. Amazing. That's fun. Well, Mark, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. We're so glad to see your incredible work continue in Sketchbook, to hear your wonderful stories, and we can't wait to see what's next. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. This has been great. I enjoyed talking with you. Mark is just, he's such a nice guy and has such good stories. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Good. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, use that hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.